Ready to light that fire by doing the things that make you come alive? Welcome to Health Raisers, a podcast for wise women. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine. I left a soul-crushing medical career full of bad news and evolved into a joyful health integration coach, helping hundreds of women find their healthy. You're more than your dress size. Stop putting up with toxic relationships, swallowing your true emotions, and sacrificing your mental health. Stop using your body as a battlefield. You're always giving. You deserve to put yourself first, not just for your sake, but for those you love. Wise women, let's make ourselves a priority right now. It's time to raise some health together. inaugural 2023 year for the podcast. It's a very special year and I have a special guest. I'm so honored to have her. I'm I'm going to start by talking about why I'm having this particular guest and to give you a little bit of background and why I am changing the focus of the podcast this year to be one from principles of health that we might not necessarily think of beyond the physical, beyond the mind, body, spirit, paradigm to include other things. I want to I want to kind of go higher forest for the trees and talk to individual women about past, present and future healthy her and I want to give you the reason why. So I met Dr. Tamara Bolberf Lafontaine at Grinnell College a couple of months ago, and it was two peas in a pod conversation. As a matter of fact, we had to be pulled away from each other to stop the conversation. And we actually had an interloper come and um, weigh in because our conversation was so great. Dr. Bobov has written a beautiful book, just one piece of work and many others. This one is called Behind the Mask of the Strong Black Woman. And it really does a beautiful job of talking about this idea of how being a healthy woman is not simply relegated to the physical. I'm going to start off with this quote before we get into it from the book. It says, Behind the Mask investigates how both the expectations and the strategy of strength envelop Black women in silence, stoicism, and ongoing struggle, and how maintaining these processes impacts them, body and mind. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Because when I was in college, then medical school, then in residency, then practicing, these experiences were killing me. But I thought it was a very normal part of the process to be in pain, no pain, no gain, and not everybody can do this, and I have to earn all of this. And I was just pushing down what I was feeling, thinking happiness was this thing on the horizon that would happen once I had become accomplished. Now, 
I had to come to my knees, as you've talked Mm -hmm. about in the book as well, and have a crisis and have a health crisis Mm -hmm. before it became very apparent to me that medicine was not right for me, was not the right Mm -hmm. environment. And it led me to do this work that I love, which is being a health integration coach for women, doing this private coaching and also teaching yoga to wise women. I wish I had had someone at that point who could have helped me when I was struggling so that I was not using my body as a battleground and living in survival mode as a strong Black, first-generation Haitian-American superwoman. So that being said, Dr. Tamara, Department Chair of Gender, Women's, and Sexuality Studies, Louise Arnown, Chair in Gender, Women's, and Sexuality Studies at Grinnell College. Welcome, and I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you. Well, Dr. Nadine, I am honored to be on your program, and I think you're kicking off a really important year in 2023 with your question. So thank you for this opportunity. With the backdrop of what I've discussed, all of the studying you've done, and all of the women that you have had a chance to talk to, not just for this book, but beyond, Mm -hmm. when I say, what does being a healthy woman mean to you? Mm -hmm. What, when I say healthy, what comes to mind? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I don't like the term health, and I'm not sure exactly why, but my Mm. mind darted very quickly to wellness and well-being because I think for myself, I know when I'm well, and well to me is about my physical health and my mental health. Health, but I think it's also just a general sort of I'm good. Like I'm I, I I'm I'm centered, I'm aligned, I am living my purpose, I have good resonance with the people around me and the energies that they give off that flow back into me and the way my energies flow into them. So I, I don't know, I'm looking for a word that is bigger than health in my mind and wellness, well-being. Seems to be it for me. Have you always thought about it that way? That's a good question. I don't know. I think I'm in my mid-50s now. You think differently about a whole bunch of things, Mm -hmm. particularly as you get to a point where your physical health is not what it was. I mean, you can be, for the most part, healthy, but your physical abilities start to sort of become lesser than what they were. You can't run as fast. You can't run as long. And, And I think you have to, or I've had to sort of reach for, well, What makes me feel good about myself? And if I can't meet the standards that I used to meet physically, does that mean I'm done and can't be the case? So I think in my 40s and 50s, being curious about what else other than physical health is important and finding myself being drawn to women who are my age and older and who just seem to move at their own rhythm. There's Mm. a they radiate something like there is a well-being. I I think that's the best word I I can sort of hold on to right now. There's a well-being around them. Like when you're with them, you feel poured into. There's a certain sort of like slow magic or, or this energy that you just or I just feel in their presence. And I think it gets into wisdom because I think the kind of health or well-being that I'm looking for is older than what you can have at 30 or 20. It's something that comes from seeing things. It's something that comes from heartache. It comes from learning to gain a certain humility about what life really is. It's not just about the planning. And I and I so can think of myself when you're talking in the introduction about going to medical school and 
you only get to medical school if you've done well in college and that sort of long sprint, even though it's it's decades long, this sprint of always moving to that other benchmark and always trying to get to a finish line so that you can just start another race and run really fast. Mm-hmm. And then you get to another race. And there's just so little room, I think, to really think about what is your own pace about it. Like, what are you really here to do? And so I think that it's in my 40s and 50s, um, physically slowing down a little bit, but then also I think getting curious about not just what's in front of me as a possible goal, but what's around me and what's behind, what have I left behind? Just sort of, Mm. I don't know, it's sort of like the difference between running through a town and walking through that town. And you would say, like, I've never seen that house before. Or, oh my God, look at the colors there. It's the slowing down that makes you much more, has made me much more interested in my ambient space and those environments where I just feel good. Like I am, I'm at peace. And, and that's been what I associate with wellness. I know my body tells me when I'm well because my heart rate is where it should be. I laugh easily. My posture is relaxed. I I I can literally feel myself like, something coming up, like something filling in me, something good. And those are the moments and those spaces where I I find myself increasingly drawn. And now here's an ad from our sponsor. In the mood for coffee, tea, Yummy pastries or cool swag? My friends at Infusco have got you covered. Infusco Coffee Roasters is a cozy neighborhood coffee joint in Sawyer and St. Joseph, Michigan. Infusco stands for a healthy community. They craft irresistible seasonal drinks, sourcing local artisans' products. The flavors shine from quality ingredients, and their beans are roasted on site. They do not hide behind tons of sugar. Every time I go, I'm greeted by my name with a smile. Bad service is just non-existent. It feels like stepping into a friend's living room. They keep it personal. Old school, eclectic coffee mugs on the wall, fun merch, including stickers designed by artists, t-shirts, and sweatshirts. It's the perfect place to get to know your neighbors and chat with tourists. You will always find people deep in conversation. Special events keep it fresh. Community. Health, the heart of Sawyer. That's in Fusco. I hope to meet you there. I really love that metaphor of the replenishment. I'm thinking of this uh, glass mm. being replenished yeah. with fresh water. And it, in your description about your well-being, your wellness, as you like to look at it, and I totally get it. You've talked about these elements that you seek out to do that. So mm-hmm. I guess that, so my question would be the seeking out aspect to do is which came first, the chicken or the egg? Because the other thing is you've, you've had a lot of time to think about this, maybe not in the, the exact same context that I've been describing of these multiple dimensions of health, but in doing the research for the book and talking to so many women who've had myriad experiences and the age range was wide from teenager to 60 plus, you have been thinking about what makes a woman well, what makes her healthy. 
Yeah. And I think that was the real honor of sitting with these about 60 women, as you said, from 19 to about 64 and hearing about their struggles with this common, I don't, I almost call it a common enemy. Maybe that's, maybe it's not Mm -hmm. quite the word I want to use right now, but this common figure that, that shaped us in some cases haunted us. And I think it was an opportunity to think about my own life, to think about where I was where I saw parallel existences, mm-hmm. but then also, and this is something I didn't expect when I did the research. So my, when I started the project almost 20 years ago now, I was reading a lot of first person accounts about being a black woman. And, and some of these were literary, some of these were some accounts in Essence magazine, some of them were autobiographies. And what I kept coming, what I kept seeing is this sense that these Black women, whether they were from the continent or the Caribbean, the U.S., often had to reckon with this idea that they were strong. And mm-hmm. increasingly in these first-person accounts, these accounts from life, these women were talking about forms of mental distress that looked to me and often were named as depression. And so back in the early 2000s, I got really curious about is this true? So that's what made me do what was at the time one of the first empirical studies of strength to talk to actual Black women and hear from them what the course of their lives was like and whether they had experiences that mapped onto those I had already read about. And to sort of great degree, that's what I found. But what, what surprised me, and I think this is where wisdom and wellness, I think, also come together for me. The About a third of the Black women I talked to who said they didn't want to be strong anymore. They wanted to be human or mature. Mm. They wanted to, they, they were critical of strength in the sense that they did not, they refused to continue accepting an external definition of self as their definition mm. of self. And usually it was, as you described with your own experiences, breaking down in order to break out of strength, getting to the point where this thing has has left you sort of on the side of the road and no Mm -hmm. one's coming to help because you're strong and they don't see your pain. And you're forced to recognize that if you don't address your pain, you will die. Like literally, these are Mm -hmm. life and death situations where women would talk about conditions of high blood pressure or diabetes where they're like, if they didn't turn something around, they were going to end up in the grave. And so it was out of that that they started to say, I need something else. And that's when they started talking about like, I'm a human being, I'm a a mature black woman. I think about what I can do and what I can't do. I think about how everyone has a way to survive. So even though like one woman said that she was tired of what what strength meant to her. And she described it as a black Jesus girl kind of thing, which I thought Mm. was just amazing. So Mm. these women, the way they articulated how strength sort of impacted them, a black Jesus girl. And she said something like, I realized that no one was jumping in the grave with me when I died. So everyone has a way of living, even though they say they're so dependent on you. And the second thing she's like, we already had a Jesus. He did what he needed to do for all of us. I don't need to play that role. And so I think seeing their forms of distress and then this kind of, I don't know, awareness that they mattered. And there was one interview mm. where I, a woman said to me, and she's one of those turnaround women. She had seen strong Black womanhood modeled in her mom, in her life, in her mom's, it, 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 most, most nearly, proximally in her mother. And she got to a point where I think she was in an abusive relationship. And that's what that was her bottoming out. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, and it still brings me like tears to my eyes. I think it's the most beautiful statement. She said she was at church and church can be a tricky place for black women, but she was at church and there was this older black woman. And this woman was maybe in her early forties at the time. 
she said, the Black woman said, God's gift to you is your life. And what you do with it is your gift back to God. Hmm. And I think the part of that, that that always really affects me is the idea that I think we have heard that we have things to do, God has plans for us, but what you do with it, and it's sort of like what, and I think the, the older woman meant this in terms of like the beauty you make out of your life or the care you take with your life is how you show love back to the creator. And I love that two-way kind of conversation between God and a black woman, black woman and God, rather than feeling that these one-way conversations where black women would often say, well, God wouldn't give this to me unless he thought I could do it without having any way of saying, but God, I need something or God, I want something. And so these many black women, strong black women have a bunch of one-way relationships where things are asked of you, things are placed on you, conversations are had that you're supposed to participate in and there's never a response opportunity where you can speak or you can ask. And this quote struck me as one of the few cases where a Black woman was hearing from another Black woman that you matter too. What you want ought to be included in the conversation. And what you want is something that you have the right to figure out and to develop as best as you can. The thing that's most striking about that to me and how you describe that so beautifully as this one-way conversation is that it can be quite confusing. You are hanging on to this external narrative and these external expectations, and then you are embodying them or taking them on as your own, and you're creating this narrative of expectation from yourself, having these harsh expectations for yourself, but also at the same time thinking you're being good, quote unquote, because you are helping others. You are taking care of others and you use, I've often said of myself, and I still think this is true, and I don't think it necessarily has to be black or white, or it can be a yes and. I can be nurturing of the people around me, but I also, it took me a very, very, very long time to understand that that nurturing has to turn around to myself as well. But it can be quite confusing in, I know I was for a very long time, because again, having the first generation experience, my mother never said this to me directly. My grandmother never said this to me directly, but I saw these women in my home, working hard and sacrificing themselves for the benefit of you want your kids to do better and be better than you. But there was a lot of self-sacrifice. And I somehow by osmosis thought, well, that's how it's supposed to be. And it didn't even occur to me to think about happiness or my own joy. It was, it was more of an outcome. It was more like, okay, so my kids are doing well. My house is cared for. It's clean. I'm going to work and I'm doing what I need to do. I got the certificates on the wall. I have the husband, so I'm doing well. And so these signs should be enough. And I also didn't want to let the people down who would ahead of me because it's something in your book one of the things about being an african-american and and caribbean experience is not exactly the same but the african-american experience was such that a, a black in the black community a black person would say what is wrong with you what do you mean depression like you you weren't a slave so 
if slaves could survive, then you could certainly survive what you're surviving. And to me, I thought I had parents who left their country young, with no facility with the language, no idea where they were going, no cultural references when they came here. So what am I crying about? Like what? Be be stronger than this. Be brave. Be strong. Be strong. Yeah, it is. And you said confusing. And I would say there's a lot of silencing of Black women's pain. So whether it is our foremothers or our kin who, who don't let us see that. So there were examples um, in the book where women would talk about being eight-year-olds and seeing their moms crying. And the mom, when when they confront the mom out of love, or ask the mom, like, mommy, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. And I think mm-hmm. that becomes confusing to the child, mm-hmm. the girl who who becomes a woman, because she children are emotionally very astute and honest, and you can see pain in another person. Mm-hmm. And it is upsetting to see your caregiver in pain and wanting to know what you can, what it is. Can you do something about it? Or you you want to to have that you're not wrong, but your caregiver, your, your mother is telling you, don't trust your eyes, don't trust your ears. And I think what a lot of Black women then do is that they start to distrust that voice, that that sort of I'm not doing okay, mm. or I see pain some in someone who's like me. And so I think for many of the women I talk to, they have years of self-silencing and you're absolutely right. There's There are very few people outside of a Black woman who really want to hear what's going on with her. I remember years ago, I had a friend in theater, a white friend, and I was writing this book and she gave an example of, I think there was a, a rehearsal for something. Someone is supposed to be dying and and yet still talking through their <laughs> through their expiration. And I think the, the person who's dying was being coached by the other actor who said, but you're a strong black woman, but you're a strong black woman. Like Mm -hmm. you can sort of pull it together and give this monologue or whatever it was. And, and I think the most important word in that is, but, because I heard that a lot in my interviews that these women would talk about how, and they may have just talked to somebody sort of going against all this conditioning that your feelings aren't valid because Mm -hmm. they're not, it's what you're experiencing Mm -hmm. is not as bad as whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It could be worse which I can't stand. Exactly. It Mm -hmm. always could be worse. And so getting to this point where she was talking to her best friend, who was a black man, about her hardships, her difficulties taking care of her, being a single mom. And he was a new parent too, but he was partnered. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. He said, but you're a strong black woman. Mm. And, And it just, that but just sort of cleans out or it takes away or washes away everything that was said, everything that might have been useful information to work on, it just erodes it. I mean, it's 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 no longer part of the conversation conversation. And um and so I think the confusion I think comes from the role models we have, but then also that other people make us doubt that what we're saying really matters. Someone keeps sort of erasing what you said, said but you're a strong black woman. You're like, oh, and I've heard that all my life. So yeah, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't so small. He is partnered and I am single, but what I'm alone and women do these things and mm-hmm. what enslaved, enslaved women do. And so it pushes us into that that confusing narrative, that chicken egg narrative of, well, it's a chicken egg narrative, but that, that, that circular narrative of Black women are strong. They never have pain because they're strong. Nothing can hurt them because they're strong. Mm-hmm. And so we need something to break through that. And I think the thing that concerned me is, is it also aligns with your experience, the breaking down, because sometimes it's not 
just depression that you can heal from. Sometimes it's suicide. Sometimes it's letting your body fall apart Mm -hmm. or not neglecting your own care to the point that it can't be put back together or Mm -hmm. it can't heal. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's early death that comes from Mm -hmm. not being able to hear that voice inside of you that says, but this is not true for me, or I need more, or this is wrong. And so I was also hoping in writing the book that some Black women would start to say, well, what? some of this can be avoided, but it requires me to listen to the thing that no one or very few people have told me is is valid to listen to, that little voice inside. So um, like what I call the deep down inside voice, because mm-hmm. that's the way many of these women described it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my dad tells me that I can take care of this and this and this and this. And my husband tells me that and that and that. But deep down inside, mm-hmm. I know that I'm maxed out. And so I think the women who got to that place of well-being and maturity and really felt our full humanity, meaning their the things that they their their strengths as well as the things that they needed help with, that's what it is to be human. They were they trusted their deep down insides, this little voice or this this sense that this is not good for us. You need to think differently about what's being asked of you. Perfect. It's a per- perfect way to talk about What I was thinking while you were talking was this. I was thinking, actually, hearing that deep down voice, but you actually have to be able to be still enough to hear it. (laughs) And then you've got to be able to trust it and not go, well, why am I saying this to myself when no one else is saying this? This doesn't make sense. Like, why do I keep thinking this? I must be crazy. Something is wrong with me. And then I think this is a great segue to talk about what you're feeding yourself. And you've alluded to this already. There's this this community. There's something more than you. You've talked about how you seek out the people who replenish you, how you seek out things that replenish you, purpose, having a sense of purpose, doing the things that make you happy to make you shine. So what would you say about the idea of a healthy community? Yeah, healthy community. I think it's it's a community where, I mean, it's not extractive on any level. There is good work and then there's work that breaks you and there's work that's not recognized and that's unfair. And I I call all of that negative, sort of those negative types of work like extractive because I think we, at least for me, I feel when someone's taking my ideas or taking me for granted or underestimating how much something took me, this contribution that I've made, Mm -hmm. or who just make me feel at the end of the interaction, like just lesser, less motivated, less energized, less confident. And and I think that the community, I I keep saying, I, I feel when I'm in a good community, like I feel... I don't know, inspired. I feel Mm -hmm. that there's a kind of growth, like maybe it's a replenishment. Maybe it's, you feel like you're expanding in Mm -hmm. some healthy and desirable way. I think community, and, and maybe this is hard. I think Black women can be each other's good community, but we have to be honest. And so I think whatever community you have has to allow honesty to be a part of what happens when people are together. So I remember like there's a the, the epilogue, I believe it is, of my book where this woman who was in her mid-30s, a single parent, seen as a strong one, proud of that to some degree, but also knowing that 
this was, this was unsustainable. And mm-hmm. she said that basically she would want to talk to other Black women and they would want to talk to her, but we don't even have the words. And what we say is, oh, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. But if we were honest with ourselves, we would start screaming and we would start crying. And, and she says it so beautifully. She says, because it goes back to when we were being raped by massive. It goes back that deeply. And so to me, a healthy community, a wellness supporting community has to be able to, to be honest or to allow honest voices to be spoken about what someone's excited about, what someone also is hurting about. It can't reproduce the silences of strength, which can exist between Black women, between mothers and daughters, for sure, mm-hmm. but a, a, across friends too. So to me, that honesty, that being able to speak fully about your experiences and not through a narrow channel of strength or some kind of impression management channel, to me, is a big part of community. There's this, I I talked to someone recently, a Black woman, about this idea of, for example, being a mother, which is one of the most giving roles that you can have. And she had a very interesting take on it. She had a very, she was talking about how a lot of women on social media, for instance, wear this badge of motherhood where it's martyrdom and they're almost over celebrating themselves. So I guess, is it a slippery slope? Do you think? Because maybe that woman thinks I'm being strong and I've got to have something to be proud of. So motherhood is going to be that thing. And I've got to, I've got to, bolster myself. I've got to boost my confidence. I've got to boost my well-being and and make myself feel better by celebrating something. This is a slippery slope, do you think, of pride, being a martyr? I think we all need something to be, I don't want to say, maybe, let me see. I think being recognized for something you do well for your for a positive thing is important. And I do think that that's one reason why so many Black women are driven to strength because of the external stereotypes Mm -hmm. that exist about us. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the few that has any redeeming qualities. You're capable, you're not a mooch, or you're not lascivious, you're not like castrating, Mm -hmm. which which many of the other ones sort of promote. So we do cling to it because it is one of the few spaces of affirmation that exists mm-hmm. between us and and the white dominated world. I think with any role that we take on, and I think this is what what black women need. I mean, like, okay, if black women are human, that means that they care, they're, they, they can be good mothers, but it means that they are more than any one role. And it means that they have multiple voices. So when we can't hear a black woman accept, oh yes, I'll do that for you, that makes her think that the only way she can get recognized is if she does, does those things, and if she always hides her pain. And what I would want is whatever the thing is or the things are that make a certain Black woman feel good and centered that around her and within her, she can speak in multiple voices about it, what she enjoys, what she hopes for, what she's working on what she wants to stop, that it's not just this repetitive, simplistic narrative of you're, you're always this, you must do this, there's nothing else for you. It's like the difference between, I don't know, like a symphony and playing chopsticks over and over again. I mean, I think when I think of strong Black women who are placed in these roles, it's a, it's a, it's a really tiny script that you're supposed to pull out for any kind of 
experience or situation. And that's the unfairness of it. We deserve more. We deserve to to be full. Like I'm thinking of the woman king and one of the, the these fierce warriors. And when they're not fighting, they dance. When they come off the battlefield, they they spend time with each other in these healing waters. Like I think it was one of them. I, I, it struck me as these women have more voices and more facets than Black women are often shown as having. Just because you have pain in your life doesn't mean you can't be a warrior, but just because you're a warrior doesn't mean that there are not other moments that are very tender where you need real companionship from other people, particularly Black women, where you need to be cared for. And and, and so this both and kind of space that I think the Woman King showed in a way that I wish more Black women, and I think that's changing for Black women, but I, that more Black women would feel entitled to and that more people would realize is our human right. And what I'm also hearing there is this idea, as you mentioned earlier, about being able to be honest in community and maybe what you really need when you're doing that oversharing of and clinging to of this particular role, for instance, be I am mother, hear me roar. It might be just that you need to be able to talk to someone in your circle and say, I would like to feel appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing with strong Black women. You never really get acknowledged you're always expected and there's always more because you did this now you can do more you can stretch more and there's never a sort of like real acknowledgement or a set of okay now it's my turn or you need to rest mm-hmm. and so having this ability to i mean to me it's like would we expect this of anybody else if this were a white woman if this were a black man if this were a white man like would we expect this to be always one way, this flow of energy and goodwill. No, that's why I think that when we see a strong Black woman, we're like, oh, she's superhuman. She's amazing and all that. And I'm like, that's like saying she's not human at all because superhuman, subhuman, it's the same thing. You are not giving, given the same range of, of, of qualities and I don't know, just, just, just facets that a regular human is given. So what I'm also hearing is, and this is kind of a two-part observation slash question, is that we are individuals. And even though we're talking about the strong Black woman in a basket, it's not a monolith. We're still human beings with different experiences. And the second part, the observation slash question is being a college professor and seeing the, the younger generation come through Would you say that there is a cultural shift you are noticing with this identity of strength? Yeah, yeah. So I think with regard to we are individuals, yeah, we're humans and and humans are individuals. Humans are quirky and unique and, and that's what makes all of us so wonderful. And I think that's one reason why conversations around Black girl magic, Black girl joy, Black girl arrogance, Black girl, Mm. I think it's a space that several academics have taken up. And because I think it's a freer space for us to write our wellness narratives. When you say Black Girl Joy, I mean, you're, you're kind of like, well, tell me more. You're curious. You don't know mm-hmm. what that is. If I mm-hmm. say strong Black woman, you're like, oh, she takes care of everybody. She never feels pain. She doesn't need to sleep. She's holding up the race. Because you have a set of mm-hmm. expectations about mm-hmm. what that looks, what strength is. But joy, magic, Black girl arrogance, those are all things where you have to lean in and get to hear from mm-hmm. an individual Black woman 
what she associates with those Mm. qualities. And Mm. I think Black girlhood is a space that not all Black girls get, a space of freedom. But I think it's something that Black girls and women can individually claim or be helped to claim. Because I think it's a space of self-definition and of self-creation, which I think is a big part of wellness, because I think you have to think about what you belong to, but then what is unique about you? You are you. You are you for a reason. What is that reason? You've got to do that kind of self-work. You have to have that curiosity about self. And with regard to younger women, yeah, I think when my book came out in 2009, we're starting to see the rise of social media. And I remember just Googling and coming across like strong Black womanhood and being struck by how many blog posts I was seeing where people are saying, I am not a strong Black woman. Mm. And I do believe that social media has enabled Black women to find like-feeling sisters out there. So maybe in your household, everyone is upholding strength, but you put something out there and you might be found or you might be heard and you might have resonance for that deep down inside. So I think that is that can be quite an asset for this younger generation. I also think that this younger generation is pushing us to think about when we don't talk about what strength takes from us and how it breaks us down, we we do have distresses. And I think most Black communities that I've encountered are much more comfortable with physical ailments than with psychological ones. Mm-hmm. And so I do applaud young people, young Black women in particular, who are talking about depression and anxiety as things that they, as human beings, experience too. And I think that those can be frightening because I think culturally we're not prepared. But I think when we hear these young women out, I think part of what makes it hard is that they don't, they're trying to legitimize a voice that speaks back to strength. And I think it's coming off, off as depression. But I think that they're wanting to have sort of fuller conversations about what they can do and what they can't do. And I do think that there is an opportunity for for women across generations to to sort of hear, like if we can not just push depression out the door. Like I remember there was one woman who I talked to who who was who was experiencing depression, and and her her, her mother said something like it was a it's a play on a word. But anyway, she just batting it out of the room, just saying mm-hmm. we don't get that. And mm-hmm. I mean that's a white people thing. What if we were to say, right? What do you mean? what's going on. And I think what would happen in those moments is that we would start to hear those silenced voices because the the approach to depression that I took in my work was done was one developed by social work nurses who are also social workers. And they talk about self-silencing being a big part of depression. And that's what I found with the women I interviewed. So maybe it's biochemical, but for some of the Black women, it was this deep down inside voice needed to be heard. And their depression was a sort of a, a place where they were in a crisis, but part of the way out of the crisis was to be able to listen into that deep down inside and hear what it had to say. It was a crisis because I got the sense of these women teetering between the strong Black woman mantra and their own needs, and that teetering just got too much. But I think the way out was to sit with that silence voice and to hear what it's trying to say, why it is saying slow down or this is enough, 
or maybe you need to change the people around you. I think that 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 voice is a voice of wisdom. That's the way that many of the women talked about it. They were like, when you are lying to yourself. And sometimes it was maybe in the quiet of depression that they could listen into that voice that would say, we need to talk. And I do think that there are more and more Black women and families where people are talking and and experiencing some kind of maybe healing intergenerationally where people can say, yeah, what? I, I had to bury that, but but why? And why can't I be strong and angry about something <laughs> that I should be angry about? Why do we, there's a Black man journalist who wrote a book about his own experiences of depression. And he had this fabulous phrase. He says, we put a whites only sign on it. And mm. white people do that mm-hmm. and black mm-hmm. people do that. Mm-hmm. And and for us to question, I mean, segregation, we, we, we knew that that was wrong. We know that that's wrong. But why do we segregate the psyche or the care of the psyche? So I think this younger generation is has more inputs beyond the family. And I think that can be a good thing. I think it does shake up cultural narratives, but some of them need to be shaken up. Some of them need to be considered. And there's a Black woman who has taught at Grinnell for 30-something years, just as has recently retired, Keisha Scott, and she wrote a really critical book, in my view, called The Habit of Surviving in 1990-1992. And basically her argument is that we have this dance of surviving that's passed down, and it doesn't matter the context, it doesn't matter the music, we do the same dance. And so I think strength is very much that dance that we know how to, to we know how to do, but it's not appropriate for every situation. Slavery might not be the, the major evil now, but there are other things and they might require different forms of maybe what black women did during slavery. Mm-hmm. And also I'm reminded of Bell Hooks, who said, I think in her first book, Ain't I a Woman, we talk about the people who survived slavery, but not everyone did. And just because you survived doesn't mean you weren't hurt by it. Mm. And she says that strength is a half-told tale. And I think that's really important. What does the strength narrative allow us to say and what does it silence? And when we listen to distress, what is it? what does it bring forward that strength does not want to recognize? So I think we have a fuller conversation when we can talk about things that are that we feel strong in, but also the places where we we feel weak because that is that full gamut of humanity that that we experience even if we don't want to acknowledge it. And I think when we discredit our humanity, it, it's almost like pushing a ball underwater. It, you can you can keep it under the water, but at some point your your focus will be somewhere else and it'll pop up. It doesn't go away just because we suppress it. And so I think sometimes our distresses are actually attempts for our bodies to create a release and an awareness and an honesty and a reckoning so that we can be whole, we can have well-being. Something that just came up for me while you were talking was that voice and and having that time and space and wherewithal to really listen to that voice, to listen to yourself, what's important to you. The example that came up for me, I just had a, an aha moment is when my husband and I were engaged and it was time to get married. I am part of an interracial couple and we had a difficult, challenging conversation about how the circumstances in which we would get married with family, without family, what that would look like. 
And I remember I said to him that it was really important that he was proud of our union, proud of me. And there was nothing to hide. And then I had this moment right before the end of my medical practicing career. I'll never forget, I was looking at myself in the mirror one morning. And I said to myself, I had the thought, I'm not proud of myself right now. It was a real turning point. And I'm glad that I was able to hear it and to, and to know that that was such an integral part of who I am mm-hmm. that I had to do something. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, like in those two cases, when a partner says that they're proud or when you feel that they're proud, I think it is, it could be about the accomplishments, but I heard it as a deeper, like you're, you see me, mm-hmm. you know, you see me and my beauty and mm-hmm. you're willing to go to bat for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're willing to see this through with me. Like you choose me, you see me fully. And that when that moment reckoning, not reckoning, but when you're like, I can't do this anymore and you don't feel proud. I think it is, I wonder if it's a, how would I put it? Maybe it's about externals, but there, I think it's like, I was your, was that voice saying, I don't see you. I don't recognize you. Mm-hmm. You, you are, I, I don't, that's what I want to use. Not feeling proud maybe is saying like not feeling seen in this profession. Like almost like a a really powerful image of I can't be seen, I can't be well in this space. And almost like a, a lack of recognition. I think that's the word that came up when you were speaking. It's like, where do Black women feel fully recognized by partners and other people? And what does it mean for a Black woman to recognize herself, to have pride in herself, as you were saying, to to say, I love me and I, I feel good being me. And and I feel that when you were saying, like, I, I was not proud of myself, it's almost saying, I can't, it's like, what have we become? And in this little voice saying, what would it take for me to be proud of you, for you to feel seen and held by your own self because it seems like that was a moment where you're just like i i am not well in this situation and there's a part of me that's confirming that and saying let's find it let's find that other space let's find that other work so kind of confirming a thing that probably you had felt but at that point you yeah you could hear this saying we don't have to do this anymore I mean, it's almost like, I I don't know if it's like having that little voice has your back and Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to really listen carefully and and openly to know that sometimes the way out is by going in, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that there is a certain wisdom, just like, I guess, your physical body. I remember reading Florence Nightingale's Notes on Nursing, where she defines this field. And what I loved about it, she said that nurses understand the human body and they are they are trained to empower the body to do what it's best at, to do what it's made to do, which is to heal itself. So a lot of that help, that nursing was like public health minded. So you don't put a sick person in a room with no windows or mm-hmm. in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a, I don't know, a back room that overlooks the trash. Like you, you, you need air, you need, you need rest because the, you want to enable the body to do what it's, what it's, what it's built to do. And I think that little voice is like, it's kind of like a little nurse that says, we're not well here. We're not good. How do we get good? And I think the women I talked to, they had moments like yours where it's just kind of like something says, you you deserve more than what you're getting. 
and let's go find it together. Having given us this gift of your time and presence and wisdom, I would like to invite you to share one more gift with us, Tamara, which is this. What would you like to ask the wise women who are in our virtual living room right now? And you're going to have to give me a little minute for this. What I want to ask the wise women, Mm -hmm. I I think I would like to ask them or invite them to start a new year with some space for self, not necessarily to write down a whole bunch of convictions, like I will, blah, 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 but to to give yourself, I don't know if it'd be half an hour, an hour, an afternoon, where you just have some quiet and you see what comes up for yourself. You see what's within you, because I think that's the big thing that I was educated by in my book. I thought Black women were going to talk about how difficult strength was and how they were suffering underneath it. And that was true. I didn't expect the third of the women to talk about how they moved past it. And they moved past it by being curious about themselves. Like, who am I? So like you're writing down your name and what does it mean to be you? What does it mean to be you at this age? What do you love about yourself? What is special about you? Where? What's the biggest version of you? So I, I don't think I would leave them with something as much as an invitation to Start the new year taking up as much emotional space as they can to try to figure out like what is their word for the year? What is the what is the wellness that could that they 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 hunger for? What are the I don't know, what is the magic? If they were to think of like what is my black girl magic and really sit with that question, my black girl magic is this. And to know that that statement doesn't have to align with anything beyond what it means to you. That's what I would say. Thank you so much for being here. I loved having our conversation. Well, thank you so much for this time. So it's a beautiful way of, for me to think about this time in my life and this new year around the corner. Wise women, move from last place to first place in your life. Stop using your body as a battlefield. Let's raise health together with a customized health plan just for you. Contact me at npkhealthintegration.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.